So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we have noted that the Corinthian people are struggling with divisions and all sorts of issues. All these problems could be remedied with just a good dose of humility. James, we learned last week, writes that the reason for division is selfishness and inordinate desires. The Corinthians were were captivated by the philosophy of men and of theories and the philosophies of human wisdom. They loved rhetoric, and, and they were enthralled by eloquent speakers. And all of these things we could wrap up into one package and call it human wisdom. The Greek culture was one that loved um, um, philosophy. The, word, the Greek word philosophy simply means love of wisdom. Now, what is the purpose of philosophy? I know you didn't come in here thinking about that, so I'm just going to help you out a little bit. Philosophy was designed to help people navigate the world. It, it was designed to help them give meaning to their lives and to deal with the problems that they come up with. And um, they, since they originated with man, though, the problem with philosophy is it's it's basically human opinion. And the problem in the empire during that time is there were many, many philosophies. There were about as many philosophies as there were people. And so this guy would say, this is the way you cope with life. This guy would say, this is the way you deal with your problems. This guy would say, true meaning comes from here. And, and they loved it. And Acts seventeen twenty one talks about Athens when Paul was in Athens. And it says that the Athenians... And foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And Corinth was very much like that. There were philosophies everywhere, philosophers coming in, eloquent speakers. And, and um, the problem is that it made its way into the church. They, the, the Corinthian people don't miss this. The Corinthian people, they embrace the Word of God but the problem is that they wanted to add human wisdom to the wisdom of the Bible. And this is not good. When you want to, when it's the Bible and, and the Bible and this. And why is it not good? The reason it's not good, and everybody, we, we need to understand this, that it's only God can give us lasting meaning and purpose, right? It's only through God that we can have lasting meaning in our lives. And so, you you might push against that a little bit and say, well, well, Jared, what's wrong with bringing human insights into the church? It doesn't seem like such a bad thing, especially if it helps. The problem with human wisdom, there, there are several. One of them is um, the temptation to pride. You know, when you add human wisdom to what the Bible says, then you can say, then you can write a book and say, if you want to grow your church, we have discovered this insight. If you if your congregation is just not doing well because your pastor is not innovative like ours and discovered these 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 principles these human principles, another problem with human wisdom is that human philosophy is is always changing. It never stays the same. What is in vogue today will not be in vogue tomorrow. We can see this very easily when it comes to science, can't we? How, how many of you are old enough to remember when eggs were the scourge of the earth? And now all of a sudden, eggs are good. Man, man, I've gone from coffee being a good thing to coffee being horrible, and now coffee is a superfood, which I'm thankful for, by the way. 
And, and, and so scientific, scientific theory is always changing. And, and what was true 30 years ago is not true today. And the same thing, we, we, in America, man, we love psychologists, don't we? They're supposed to be the wise people that, that know everything. But do you realize how much it's changed? In the 1800s, Sigmund Freud said that man is basically an instinctual animal. And most of our conflict in life comes because uh, we have unconscious, unfulfilled desires, and the solution is to take a person and re-socialize them. Then along comes a guy named B.F. Skinner, who said, well, man is not an instinctual animal, rather man is a conditioned animal. And really, he's just a product of his environment. And so Skinner, along with uh, Ivan Pavlov, if you're familiar with Pavlov's dogs, okay, um, Pavlov believed that the way a person, to help a person is to, to recondition them and, and teach them new expectations. And around the same time was a guy named Carl Rogers, who he said, man's problem is not that he's an instinctual animal or that he's a conditioned animal. Man's problem is that um, he hasn't realized his full potential. It's not social behavioral. Man is basically good. And so the way to um, help a person is to release his unrealized potential and help him become self-actualized. Now, chances are that you've heard elements of all three of these philosophies today, haven't you? You hear it all the time. And, and we don't have to, especially, I'm just going to say it, I'm going to trigger some people I know, especially around election time when politicians are talking, they use these three things all the time. Today, psychologists tell us, well, they use a mixture of these and then they add in the medical part. It's a brain thing. And, and all these, these um, behaviors and, and these categories and things, are, they're not helpful they're helpful in descriptions, and that's it. And the reason that they're not helpful is because God, in His wisdom, teaches that the real way to change a man, listen, is to change his heart. Man's basic problem is a heart problem. And until a person's heart is changed, all the be outward behavioral changes in the world will not give a person internal peace. Because we are at war with God because we have sinful hearts. And Jesus came and, and made reconciliation between us and him when we believe on his sacrifice on the cross. And everything else is just a surface level um, dealing with it. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 18 through 2.5 is teaching the Corinthian people to simply trust the simple gospel, which is the wisdom of God. You have no reason to be embarrassed about the gospel when people mock. You should trust it. And in this passage, Paul describes several ways that the wisdom of God is better than the wisdom of man. And we're going to start working our way through this. And this is an important ground-laying set of truths that we're going to teach that carry us all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians, okay? And so Paul describes several ways that the wisdom of God is better than the wisdom of man. In the first two verses, he says that the wisdom of God is better than the wisdom of man because it's permanent. We've already seen this. We're going to experience 
uh, once again, eggs are going to become bad for you. We're going to experience once again that coffee is bad for you somehow or some way or, or something because human wisdom is always changing. Now look at the verses one more time, verses 18 and 19. He says, in verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul calls it, calls it the word of the cross. You could use the word the message of the cross. Um, and the message of the cross, by the way, is the whole Bible. The whole of Scripture is, is the message of Jesus' passion. The Old Testament is looking forward to the cross. The Gospels portray the cross, and the epistles look back to the cross and to the future, then forward to the future that it brings. And so the whole of Scripture is about Jesus Christ, and it's scandalous, and it's ridiculous, and the cross, by the way, in the first century was um, was a shocking image. Now you walk around today, and you'll see a lot of people with a crucifix around their um, neck, and a lot of people will have a cross tattoo on. But um, it was a it was a symbol of shame and evil, and it was a symbol of punishment. It would be akin today if those same people would tattoo an electric chair on their arm or hanging around their neck, people would look at you like you belong in an institution somewhere if you did that, wouldn't they? And, and that's the same kind of scandal that the cross had during this day. The message of the cross, by the way, is not complicated. It's, it's so simple that it's even counterintuitive. You know, somebody asked, you mean to tell me that all I have to do is believe in a man who died by capital punishment and rose again and I'll have peace with God? Yep, pretty much. Well, that's ridiculous. I, I, I must have to do something great. There must be some secret knowledge behind this. Nope. It's simply repent and believe the gospel. That's the message of the cross. It's so simple, isn't it? That's, that's the message that Paul preached, the message of the gospel. Now, Paul, in verse number 18, mentions two groups of people, doesn't he? Look at the verse again. The first group are those who are perishing. Now, I know y'all are English experts. Are perishing, what tense is that? That's a present tense verb, isn't it? So the first group of people are those who are perishing. That word perishing simply means to be destroyed. These are the group that are being destroyed. These people are dying every day. They're on their way to destruction. A good way to look at it would be to look at the human body. From the time we reach the peak of our strength, our body is dying. So while you look good in your 20s, look okay in your 30s, there's some warnings in the 40s. By the time you hit your 50s, you know, you can tell you, you almost got one foot in the grave. Isn't that the way it works? Okay. And, and, and basically this image that Paul is saying is that's the way these people are spiritually. They're, they're on their way to destruction. If they, if they do not turn to Jesus, if they reject this message, they will ultimately perish. When they hear the simple gospel message, they sneer and they say it's, it's foolish. In Athens, when Paul began to preach the gospel, their reaction was this. The Bible says, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Human wisdom, mark this down, human wisdom cannot understand the cross. 
It makes absolutely no sense in human wisdom. But there's another group of people mentioned here, isn't there? There's another group of people, and it says, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I want you to notice the contrast here. One group, it's foolishness. Now, you would expect that when he says, to those who are being saved, it would, it's complete wisdom. But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, it's the power of, of God. And we are the ones being saved. We are the ones, if you are in Christ, you are being saved. The, and there are three tenses in the Bible, which is true of all people. You ready? This is true of all of you who are believers all at once. You ready? The cross has saved you. The cross is saving you right now. And the cross will save you in the future. And all three are true right now. And the response is that it's the power of God. All men are either in the process of being saved or being destroyed. And it's simply based upon their view of the cross. Now look at verse number 19 with me for just a minute. He says this. He quotes the Old Testament. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. That's a, that's a quotation in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. Turn to Isaiah 29 if you want. We'll spend a, a couple minutes in Isaiah for just a minute. Um, he quotes Isaiah 29:14 to to prove that the wisdom of men will be destroyed. Now, now, why does he use this passage? I, I think this is so fascinating what's going on here. Isaiah, Isaiah's teaching will have its ultimate fulfillment in the last days when all men's philosophies and objections to the gospel will be swept away. Christ will reign unopposed, unobstructed as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and all a man's wisdom will come to ashes. But there is something specific going on in Isaiah that I want to show you. And, and uh, just, I think it'll be a blessing to you. Um, the, in Isaiah 29, the situation is this. The Assyrian army is, is coming to Jerusalem. King Hezekiah knows that. And so the Bible says in, in 2 Chronicles that he began to make some preparations the, the extra-biblical Jewish writings says that he expanded the walls around Jerusalem and reinforced them. And we didn't know where those walls were until the 1970s. And they found what they call the broad wall. This is called the broad wall. Jewish, biblical, Jewish writings tell us that when he expanded the wall, that he also um, tore people's houses down. In the broad wall, one of the things you can read, you can read it up here and in here, is you can tell that houses were torn down. It's a very rough wall. It was just really put together real fast. And, and he expanded the wall to because there were so, and the reason he expanded the wall, if you want to know, there were so many refugees from Judah coming to Jerusalem because Jerusalem actually had walls. They were coming, they were fleeing the Assyrian army. He expanded the walls. But there's a second problem. Uh, that they, he had to overcome. There are many, actually, but I'm just going to mention two. That if you're going to have that many people, you need to have a water supply. Well, up until Hezekiah's day, um, the, the water supply was outside the walls. And so what Hezekiah did is he stopped up 
the springs that were right here, the Gihon Spring. Now see the wall? It was outside the wall. So if the Assyrian army came, he was going to be able, they were going to be able to get the um, water. Well, he built another wall here. You can see it. And uh, then he rerouted the spring. And this is a tunnel. This is called Hezekiah's Tunnel. And it goes about a thousand feet down here to what's eventually called the Pool of Siloam. And Jesus was there in Jesus' day. And so the spring has been completely rerouted. If you've been to Jerusalem, you may have actually been to the Pool of Siloam or to the Gihon Spring. And he's doing all these preparations, I think. Nope. Uh, okay. I didn't put a picture there. I thought I had a picture of myself in the in Hezekiah's tunnel because I've been there. So, so, um, so here's all his preparations. Now, are these preparations the result of human wisdom? And the answer is, in one sense, yes, because if you have an invading army, you're going to start thinking through, okay, what do we need to do to prepare to defend ourselves against this army? Well, what God did is he was going to teach them to trust him and his protection. So look at Isaiah 29 and verse number 13 and 14. Because what God wanted them to do is trust his word and not human ingenuity. And the Lord said, because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their heart are far from me, their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and wisdom, and the look, the wisdom of their wise men shall be shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning men shall be hidden. This is where Paul quotes. And what Paul, what Isaiah is saying is this. You give lip service to serving me. You don't really trust me. You don't really serve me. It's all lip service. Your heart is is all in this world. And I'm going to do something to show you that you really need to trust me. What God was doing was teaching them that the power of his word was greater than the wisdom of the wisest men in the kingdom. And so what happened? How did he do that? How did God fulfill what Isaiah prophesied here? Did he send a great natural disaster? Um, did he send a massive, um, did he send a, another massive army to protect? No. You know what he did? He simply turned to one angel and said, go take care of business. In Isaiah 37, 36 says this, And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people rose early the next morning, I love the way this is, this is worded. Listen to the wording. Behold, these were all dead bodies. All the preparations, the wall, the tunnel, all the weapons, and all the machines that the Bible describes that he built, all of that was for naught because God in his power, God in his wisdom sent one angel to do what they could not. And that's what, that's what Paul is bringing back to their memory and telling them, look, trust the word of the cross and not human wisdom. It's with the same gospel that when you trust the Word of God, it does what you absolutely cannot do. 
Men are inclined to try to solve their own problems, fight their own battles with their own ingenuity and their own power. And, but human ingenuity and human power can only get in God's way. Man's own efforts hinder God in his work rather than help him. And so Paul is teaching here that the, word, that the wisdom of man is impermanent. Go back to um, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And look at the next verse, verse number 20. He asks this question. Those are a series of rhetorical questions. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Can, can, I, can I unpack the Greek for you real quick? I'm going to do a really, this is going to be profound. You ready? He's simply saying, where are all the smart people that have all the answers? That's all he's asking. Where are all the smart people? You know, we are 55 years into the great society. We have spent trillions of dollars to eliminate poverty, and yet we still have poverty. Education is the key to everything, and we spent trillions of dollars to educate people and so that they will lift themselves up out of poverty. Is a person a criminal? Well, probably they don't have a good education, so we need to re-educate them. We, they just need to be educated so they won't steal. Last time I checked, the biggest thieves in our country are the most educated ones, and a lot of them live 70 miles from here. Right? So the wisdom of the world, where did it get us? It gets us nowhere. Human wisdom is only temporary because it begins with the assumption that there's no God. So let's think about something else. If there's no God, how do things get here? Well, everything began by chance. You know, the Bible says, in the beginning, God. The world says, in the beginning, um, singularity. You ever heard that term? Where did the world come from? Well, in the beginning, there was singularity. Singularity is this. You ready? The whole universe was packed into a kernel of microscopic proportions with density greater than all the black holes in the world. And that singularity exploded. And it it made what we see today that's 13.8 billion light years every direction that we look, except that that explosion, that doesn't explain it all. And so then they had to say, well, listen, it, there's something else that's called inflation. And so when the singularity exploded, the, the, the universe as we know it expanded to several hundred million light years in width in less than a billionth of a second. Now, we don't have any kind of physics to back this up. Basically, it's our imagination, right? And, and you say, okay, well, uh, this, this infinite, infinite Tesla small singularity exploded. And, and so you would expect to see galaxies and planets and, and stars all over, except that scientists know that it's on a plane. Do you know the universe is more or less planar? It's not, well, anyway. It, it's kind of on a plane. That sounds very similar to where the Bible says that God stretches the heavens out like a tent. Doesn't it? Just cast it out there on a plane. Oh, well, um, yeah, I, I guess you could be right about that. And then they say, and, and then they'll say something like this. 
they'll say, well, where did, where did this singularity come from? And this is where it gets interesting. They answered, they killed two birds with one stone because they also noticed something else, that the laws of physics and, and all the natural laws are tuned for life. And if the universe is tuned for life, that must mean that our universe is special. And there might be a design. So the way they get around the singularity problem and the, the tuning for life is they say, well, there's a multiverse. Well, what's that? Our universe is one of a multitude of universes. Oh, yeah, where do you get that from? Well, it's just something we thought of. Okay? By the way, this is not the Big Bang, <laughs> in case you wanted. This is Andromeda Galaxy. Uh, the, that's our closest, nearest galaxy. That's called M110. It's a dwarf galaxy. That's M32, another dwarf galaxy. I was looking at them Friday night, my, my telescope I've got, and was enjoying them. By the way, through my telescope, it doesn't look like that. Um, but um, but the, the psychological theory that I talked about, the, theory, the, the Big Bang theory, constantly evolving. If I were to teach what I was taught about the Big Bang 30 years ago when I was in med, uh, pre-med, um, they would look at me and say, you're absolutely wrong. It's, it doesn't look anything like it did back then because it's always changing. Let me ask you something. Has the Word of God changed? It has not. Let's think about life for just a minute. All right, so how did life begin? Well, you see oxygen and carbon and hydrogen. Um, they all fell on a hot rock. And just at the right time, billions of molecules lined up and came together and became a one-celled amoeba. And that one-celled amoeba wasn't happy being an amoeba. He wanted to be human. And so he, he, and since there was no creator, he eventually became a human. And since there is no creator, life is random and meaningless. And we're no better than animals. As a matter of fact... It's gotten to the point where let's keep the animals and get rid of the humans. No lie. They are proposing, the, the latest proposal, they realize that if global warming is caused by humans, there's no way for us to cut back on petroleum products or whatever else in, in their scientific scheme. And so now they're saying don't have children. And that's what they're telling people to have. Which, by the way, is that the exact opposite of what the Bible says? Children are a blessing of the Lord, right? Okay, so if life is random and life is meaningless, that means that there's no responsibility to a higher being. We can now live life any way we want. We can define life any way we want. And so a baby that's in the womb is a fetus. A fetus is not a person. And it doesn't become a human until it exits the womb of course, unless it's aborted. And, and so it may have eyes and ears and lungs, and it might be breathing and have hands and legs and feet and everything like that, but it's still a fetus until the moment it's born. However, if you happen to run into a car that has a pregnant woman in it, and you kill the pregnant woman and the baby, then you can be charged with double manslaughter or double homicide. That's, that's the wisdom of man, and that's the kind of confusion that it gets you. The wisdom 
of man, the Bible says, is foolishness with God. The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. The foolishness of the cross, what man thinks is foolish, is greater than the wisdom of man. This is what Paul says, and he says it's passing away. If we could live another hundred years, the stuff that we now know as science and human behavior and social um, social norms, we won't even recognize the United States of America. We won't even recognize what's being taught because it's going to be that different. That's how perishing human wisdom is. And human problems start because evil hearts bring sinful actions. And as long as we are conditioned or instinctual animals, we will never have our problems solved. Let me give you one more truth. So so what, what Paul argues is that human wisdom is perishable. That makes God's wisdom better. Second argument that he makes in this extended passage that we're going to unpack for the next few weeks is human wisdom will never bring us to God. Look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I wish I had a lot more time, but I'm going to be quick on this one. But notice what the verse says. The verse says God's wisdom made it so that he cannot be known through human wisdom. You absolutely cannot know God through human wisdom. As a matter of fact, it's really the exact opposite. You start with the assumption that there is no God, and you keep moving with the assumption there is no God, and you get more and more hardened in your position as time goes along. That's, that's the direction that human wisdom takes you. The more, the more a man looks to himself and depends upon himself, the worse his situation becomes. And as his dependence on his wisdom increases, so do his problems. Every time man proposes a solution, there's an opposite problem that probably is greater than the solution, isn't it? We see that over and over and over. If the way of salvation, by the way, if the way of salvation could be discovered through human wisdom, think about it, think about the implications for just a minute, will you? If it could be discovered through human wisdom, oh, I, I found the way of salvation. Uh, that guy over there, he didn't. You mean you didn't find salvation? It was so easy for me to find it. You see what I'm saying? What 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 it could de- it develop into? Pride. It has nothing to do with human wisdom. And Paul really hammers it in verse number 26. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Now, many were of noble birth. The way of salvation isn't by human wisdom. Instead, it's simply by believing the message of the gospel. Let me ask you, dear person, are you trusting in the simple gospel message, which is the power of God? Human wisdom says that you have no purpose, so you need to find it. God's wisdom says that he created you for the purpose of glorifying him. Human wisdom says that this life is all that there is, so get all the happiness and satisfaction you can from it. God's wisdom says live for delayed gratification, and one day there will be perfection in heaven. Man's wisdom says that you need to have a big 401k so you can retire to the good life. God's wisdom says that all money is to be given for stewardship so that you can lay up treasures where? In heaven. 
Man's wisdom says that this world is eventually going to freeze and collapse. That's what the, the Big Bang, by the way, is miserable because eventually expansion is going to stop, gravity is going to overtake, and the whole thing's going to freeze and collapse back into singularity and do the same thing over and over again. It's like a giant accordion. That's really, that's really encouraging. God's wisdom says that the world is groaning and it's waiting for the day of the return of Jesus Christ where he will make all things new. Amen? Man's wisdom says that God is irrelevant. God's wisdom says that one day all of man's wisdom will pass away. Man's wisdom says that the avoidance of suffering is our biggest problem. God's wisdom says that sin is our biggest problem. Man's wisdom says that if you can find the perfect mate that you're compatible with, then you'll be happy. God's wisdom says that you are the bride of Christ and satisfaction is only found in Him. And so when you're tempted to think that the gospel message is too simple and you want to rely upon something else, think back to your own conversion. There's the power of God to salvation. One day you were dead, the next day you were alive. One day you didn't care about God and His gospel, the next day you were alive to it, and it's, it's the center of your world. It's the power of God to salvation. When you're tempted to want to introduce the latest insights of man into church growth, um, and culture relevance, remember the Word of God is folly to those who are perishing. Trust God, trust His wisdom, and trust His power. And Paul is going to really expand on this for the next few verses because what are we dealing with in 1 Corinthians? All kinds of topics. Um all kinds of problems, whether it has to do with the communion, spiritual gifts, not loving one another, divorce and marriage, incest, you name all the problems. How are we going to deal with it? And he's setting the stage saying the only way that you can properly deal with these things is, first of all, understand the wisdom of God and ignore the wisdom of men. I, I worked, I'm going to close with this. I worked uh, for a man, one of the pastors I worked for, who said this. Now, what is what does the Bible say? Matthew 18 talks about church discipline and says the most loving thing you can do if somebody's acting like an unbeliever is to treat them like one with the idea that they're going to repent and come back, right? My pastor would always quote another famous pastor and say, so-and-so said if you practice church discipline, no matter what the Bible says, if you practice church discipline, it's going to split the church. That's man's wisdom. You know, as, as leaders, we may be afraid, the elders here, we, we may have a certain amount of anxiety about what a decision or, or a tough thing that we're going to do, it, what are the um, side effects of, or not the side effects, what am I, what's the word, consequences. Consequences are, but if we trust God and obey Him, no matter what the fallout is, we're pleasing God and He will be glorified. May Providence Bible Church Trust the word of the cross and the power of God over against the wisdom of man. Lord, I thank you for the, the, the word of God, how it's quick and active, more powerful than a two-edged sword. 
It just cuts right to the heart of issues. Lord, I, I don't know in what areas of lies people right now are prone to trust in human wisdom, but I pray that you will bring them back to the almighty, wonderful power of God. Trust God and trust your word. Believe your word knowing that every word of God is true. You kept every promise that you made up until then. The ones that are unfulfilled will be fulfilled. And um, you're absolutely true. Lord, uh, bless us in our knowledge of you, in our understanding of you, in Christ's name. Amen.